We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Proverbs chapter 2. Let me tell you what this is about. If you'll just look at your text, it says in uh, verse 1, if you receive my words. Verse 3, if you cry for discernment. Verse 4, if you seek her as silver. They are three ifs because there's a condition that must be met. It's a condition of the heart. It is a a receptiveness to the greatest of all possible bestowances. And what that is, is verse five, then if, if, if a certain heart is presented, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. Uh, the highest gift you will ever receive is that of seeing life and the perspective of God. Wisdom will be bestowed and the ability to live a life on that narrow path, the high, the high road that leadeth unto life. Uh, and it's interesting that it begins in verse two, uh, verse one, with my son. This is the third time in three chapters we have addressed these greatest of all possible gifts, the wisdom of God, to my son. Now, that's important because this book is written at the Camelot of Israel's history, time of David and Solomon. And yet Solomon says to the reader, they are younger than him. My son, your son is someone that is precious to you and you want the very best for him or for her, your child. Solomon writes to the nation of Israel as his child and he calls them his son. This is the greatest thing that a father can leave them is wisdom, is the instruction as to how life should be lived, as to what truth is. And in writing to a son, uh, it tells you that this book, even though Israel is at the height of their greatness, that it doesn't matter that every single Jew has to go through the seeking of God. Is this true with your children? Just because you are a parent that have walked with God, does that mean that that is immediately bestowed upon your children? No, God has no grandchildren. He is not the God of Abraham and his descendants. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And all of them have to learn this. Also, this book is written at a time of the temple has been built. And so the Jew was sitting in a good place. We've not had the splitting of the kingdom yet. Solomon's faux pas with other gods, uh, Either he is writing in retrospect or it hasn't occurred. And so he is the bestower of the wisdom of God. But nevertheless, every single Jew is going to have to go deep. Every single Jew is going to have to uh, have in verse 10, wisdom enter your heart. Let me ask you, if a kid gets dedicated as an infant, gets in Sunday school, gets in youth group, Awana, baptized, and all the rest, does that ensure that God has that kid's heart? Uh, 
No, it's just that you got a little wet kid. That's about it. Something has to happen in that heart. What he's going to show you here, in my opinion, this is a dissecting and an unveiling of Old Testament salvation. This is what it looks like. Just because you've been baptized and attended church and had confirmation does not make you a child of God. Every single individual has to deal with God. Paul said to the Romans, uh, how did he put it? He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. David is a man after God's own heart. And so every Jew has to deal with God. Every supposed Christian has to deal with God. In the Middle Ages, if they march you through a river at sword point, that does not make you a member of the church. You've now been baptized. Every single one of us has to deal with God. And so watch this in verse one and following as we look at the greatest gift that God can bestow. In verse two, if you'll receive my words, and here come the conditions, you have to be teachable. You have to sit quietly and listen, and then, and treasure my commandments within you. You have to esteem this knowledge as the greatest of all gifts. Let me ask you, can you be wealthy, smart, handsome, beautiful, talented, and prestigious, and still wreck your life. Yes, you can. And so this is the greatest of all bestowances. This is life on the inside track. And so if you will esteem it as precious, if you will make your ear attentive, if you'll listen close to what I'm telling you. You remember this story? The last miracle of Paul. He goes to... Uh, was it Ephesus? No, it's someplace. Okay. And he is teaching and it's late at night and there's a teenager, my son, there's a teenager. Solomon knows in Proverbs, we're just one generation away from disaster where there's a teenager. Okay. And so Paul is teaching and there's a guy sitting in the back up top on the top floor and he's sitting in the window between light inside and darkness outside. He's a young man. His name is Eutychus. And as one man said, Eutychus too, if you fell out of that window, all right. <laughs> Danny Allen told me that, <laughs> one of their relatives. And so here's Eutychus, which is really funny because it means good fortune. <laughs> and he fell out of a window, but he's sitting on the edge between light and dark, listening to Paul. Is that the way that youth are? That when they go to church, they go to the balcony and get in the corner? Get as far as they can. And that's where he is, the next generation. And what does he do? He falls asleep. He sleeps in church. And uh, he falls into the dark. And he breaks his neck 
And that's what happens when the next generation gets a distance from God on the edge and falls asleep. You break your neck. Let's close in a word of prayer right here because that happens. Can y'all remember your freshman year? We'll move on. And so Paul has to lay his hands on him again. And then he rises and he rejoices and gives him back to his parents. And so you can't be a Eutychus sitting on the window ledge. You incline your heart to understanding. You think through as to what it means. Because in verse 3, if you cry, to cry out is because you recognize the inestimable glory of what is happening. And if you lift your voice for understanding, even though your elders teach you, you must, my son, lift your voice to want to know what God is saying. It goes like this. Timothy, continue and that which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings, able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he says, you continue because you know who taught you, your mother and your grandmother and me. And you, Timothy, have to continue. You've got to deal with this. This is a good high school message. This is a real good pre-puberty message that each young person has to deal with God. And in verse four, if you seek her as silver, superlative worth and search as hidden treasures, recognizing that none of the world is gonna recognize this as being good. Let me ask you, if I go to a college class or anywhere in business and I stand up and say, can I have a few words for a second? I'd like to tell you the great and wonderful story of Jesus. Do you think that will be received? Now, how can you, you antiquated, archaic, much attenuated in the dark individual be talking to us about a story from an ancient book? But if you will regard this as a hidden treasure, you ever see the series, The Chosen? I like the beginning of it and the end of it and the little, little uh, logo on it. It shows a bunch of fish swimming one direction. And then you see one fish peel off and go a different direction. And he starts collecting and the fish start peeling off. And they don't have to tell you what it means is that Jesus goes a different direction. And those that follow him are going to have to go upstream. And so if you will search for this as hidden treasures, verse five, what's the first word in verse five? What's it say? Then. In Hebrew, it's the word then. I thought I'd impress you. Okay. <laughs> then you will discern the fear of the Lord. James 1, 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it'll be given to him. He that cometh to me, I will not turn back. You come and I'll receive you. He turns away none. You will discern the greatest of things, and that is what God thinks about what you're doing. We have a term for that. It is called truth. 
It is what corresponds to reality and is right. You will discern and what truth is, it's the fear of Yahweh, the living God. It is you will discover the knowledge of God, the Bible. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 to the Pharisees, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You refuse, you have not entered yourself and you hinder those who attempt to do so. The key of knowledge is the fear of the true God that bends before his son. And he says, you guys have taken it away. Is it possible to go through Sunday school and yet never get the big picture? The key of knowledge is this. It is the, the recognition of the fear of God and of my accountability to him. You will discover the, the knowledge of God because God gives wisdom. How many of you, when you were younger, read Francis Schaeffer and all of the 60s maelstrom of confusion? Schaeffer came out with a book that said, The God Who Is There. And then his next one was, he is there and not silent. That God has spoken. Sanctify them in the truth, O God. Thy word is truth. He is a God who speaks. You've heard me say it before. When Adam was created, he was initially a theologian. He looked up and saw a theophany, the appearance of God. And he saw that God took on a human form. That God was like him and he was like God. The animals weren't like him. God wasn't like the animals. God wasn't like nature. He wasn't like nature. He and God were mates. He was in the very image of God. And God said, eat of the tree of, uh, of life and you'll receive eternal life. I'm offering you immortality. Don't break from me and try to know truth for yourself. In the day that you eat it, you will surely die. He was tempted. He ate of it. And man became blind, became darkened. And as soon as that happens, in the very next sentence, God says, Satan, I'm going to put hatred between you and the woman, your seed and her seed, and he, her seed, will crush your head and you will wound his heel. The answer for enlightenment would be the seed of woman. Who is the ultimate seed of woman? Jesus Christ. And he will crush you that victory is going to come through the living word of God. I'm going to become one of you. That verse is given one sentence after the fall of man. God leaves you no plan B. And then we begin to see the seed of the woman, those who will be reunited with God through his son. And you see the seed of the serpent. You see Cain hating Abel, killing him, Seth taking his place. Enoch, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, Jesus, Joseph, husband of Mary, by whom was born the Christ. And God has reached out to all of us Gentiles and made us partakers of the rich root of Israel's olive tree, the Messiah. Isn't that great? There's only two races on the earth, the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. Of Christ. And so there is the answer for the darkness. It's Jesus. There's your answer. I am the light of the world. Uh, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. 
We're Abraham's descendants. We hadn't been enslaved to anybody. He that commits sin is a slave of sin. You want to kill me. One who speaks from God, that Abraham did not do. No, you're of your father, the devil. Not a good way to end a speech right there. You can get killed doing that. And that's what they did to Jesus. You're of your father, the devil. So truth is going to be found through Christ. I'll tell you what's fascinating is that from the Tower of Babel on, you see God taking Abraham, beginning the Jewish nation, by which will come Christ and his life to us. And then you see uh, the nations go off away from God. And you now start to see G-O-D-S occurs for the first time in your Bible. Gods. They now begin, they want the truth. They want something above them that is greater, but they don't want God. They make things that resemble God in nature. The slyness of the serpent, the power of the ox, the loftiness of the hawk. They make God into something in Egypt, Assyria, and the Canaanites. They make him into something. And that goes on until about 800 BC. And all of a sudden, if you study history, you have a major shift. It's like man got fed up with being ruled by nature. And now you have a guy in um, India. In India, the major religion was panentheism. I'm sorry pantheism where God is the creation. You ever heard of Hinduism? That's what it is. You are God. I am God. Everything is God and God is everything. And ultimately God is nothing. And about 800, you have a guy named Gautama and he revolted against that. He said, everything is not all one. There is good and there is evil and they are delineated. And that, he had a boy, go Gautama, go. And he said, that's a Beatles song, I believe. <laughs> and then he said, uh, evil comes from man and his lust for other things. Go Gautama, you're two and oh. And the way that you cure that is man has to, through self-application, anesthetize his body towards longing and be content. You missed it, Gautama. The word Buddha means the enlightened one. And that's what he was supposedly the enlightened one. And enlightenment merely said that man is not part of nature. Man is a sinner and man must subdue his flesh. I mean, you can be a Methodist and get that. You know. There has to be a seeking of God. But all of a sudden, India turned away from pantheism and began to seek what was right the first time. They weren't there, but they weren't where they were. At the same time, there's a guy in China. And he says, our problem is that we have forgot, forgotten the past of the elder's wisdom. We need to be in right relationship to parents, to government, to our nature, to ourselves. His name was Confucius. And he was at the same time as Gautama. And then you saw in Greece, you saw a bunch of guys on the Greek islands, turn away from the gods. And they said, we need a unifying element to all of nature. One guy said, it's air. The other guy says, no, it's water. Another guy says, no, it's uh, uh, something else that uh, 
we're all, com there's a unity that holds all of us together and we've got to find it. And then there came a guy named Socrates and a guy named Plato and a guy named Aristotle. And they said, it's the prime mover. It's not a substance. Then man has to find the truth within himself. And Aristotle said, it's a prime mover. Um, Plato said, it's the first cause. It's God. And all of those happened at the same time that man said, the answer is not God's, the answer is not nature. The answer is something that is beyond us, but they didn't know what it was. And at the same time, Israel that had the answer wandered off and began to imitate the pagans. And at that same time, God raised up Micah, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, that began to speak and write and call Israel back to the true God. And it's into this mess that right at this time, that that was when Christ came, of man saying, gods won't work. Philosophy hasn't worked. And the wise men said, we saw his star and have come to worship him. There he is. So that's answers to what your friends have no questions. Okay. But that's what happened in about the eighth century. Uh, one scholar said, Steve, he said, Israel had its prophets and the pagans had their philosophers. Both of them were looking for the coming of something else. Aren't you glad that we know what it is? It's the hey, that is the wisdom of God. Uh, give you a good picture of it. It's as if upon sin, God stands outside of the deep, dark forest. And God, I mean, you've seen a bunch of fairy tales like this. He stands at the outside of the deep, dark forest and he says, you're about to enter into it. I'm with you. Here's the magic book. Follow it and you'll find life. When Dante is on the divine comedy and his going from hell into heaven, He's got somebody with him. Do you remember? It's Virgil. It's a poet. And he's leading him. In Pilgrim's Progress, you have Christian. And with him is Evangelist. And he's leading him through the darkness. You see the four children in the Narnia Chronicles. And there they have Aslan. And he's walking beside them wherever they are. Here you've got Dorothy. And there's Glinda. Though, what is she? You're not an ugly witch. <laughs> Follow the yellow brick road. Glinda is going to take them to Oz. You'll always see throughout literature... Man in the darkness needing a supernatural voice carrying him on. And that's what the Bible is. The seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. You walk with me and I will lead you against the grain. And ultimately it'll end up in the holy city. Amen. And that's what Solomon's saying right here. Come to him. And in verse 7, 
Uh, and incidentally, this is why in this text, the seeking of God is not a passive thing. Receive, treasure, listen, incline your heart, cry out, lift your voice and discover it. It's because the knowledge of God is life and death. It's heaven and hell. It's where the immortal soul will spend its time. This is a real scary decision that has to be made. Um, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. How does a deer pant for the water brooks? If he doesn't get it, he dies. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow. What happens if a babe does not get his milk? He dies. I long for thy word more than my necessary food. Thy words were found to me and I ate them. They became the joy and the delight of my heart. What happens if you don't get your necessary food? You die. If you don't get your manna, you die. If you don't get water from the rock, you die. If you don't have the cloud by day and the, no, cloud, yeah, is that right? Cloud by day and the fire by night, you die. If the water doesn't, the rock doesn't open up, you die. And so God says, you follow me. Don't you move till I move. And we'll get through the wilderness into the promise. And so that's why this is such a, uh, a frightening thing, is an individual's encounter with God. As a matter of fact, back after the Reformation, you had uh, what was called the Peace of Augsburg, that all the different states forming nations chose what their religion would be. And everybody had to be that religion. Reformed, Lutheran, Catholic, they had to be one of those things. And the problem was you had the repetition of Catholicism again in the guise of Protestantism. You simply would be born and get sprinkled as a Lutheran, born and get sprinkled as a Reformed kid. Uh, and they, they had to, to come to grips in about the 1600s that that was, like the Greek says, balona ai, okay? You don't, you're not with God because of a mechanical act. It was called pietism. A couple of Germans, August Frank and Johann Spiner, Jacob Spiner. And they were the guys that say, you got to deal with God. Y'all ever heard of a Frenchman named Blaise Pascal? He was the Frenchman and a German. A guy named Ludwig von Zinzendorf said the same thing, a German. You got to deal with God group of guys in England picked it up called Puritans. A bunch of them headed off, became Americans, and here we are. And so we have to deal with God. And so when you get your kid, you look at them. Daddy's got a faith, mom's got a faith, grandma's got a faith. You got to walk with God. You got to make a decision. That's why in Australia, you send a kid out in the desert and a walkabout. We're not going to try that. It might be a good idea, you know. You're going to have to find God somewhere. And so he says in verse eight, that God is like Joseph. He stores up wisdom. Remember Joseph stored up grain and he's a shield. He put the children of Israel in Goshen. I'll provide for you and I'll protect you. You follow me and I'll take care of you. In verse eight, he guards the path of justice. And he preserves the way. It's not just knowing it academically. You have to follow the way of, of uh, 
justice in nine, righteousness, justice, and equity, fearing God and equity, loving your fellow man. You have to be willing to follow that, the moral courage to follow that, and God will lead you. There's a great uh, lesson right here that promises of guidance are made here for the man that is in the will of God. Now that tells me something. In life, you don't have to worry about right and left decisions. Should I go to Rice or SMU? Should I take this job or that job? Should I have my nose rebuilt or leave it like it is? Should I dye my hair? Yes, you should dye your hair. Okay. But we have to make decisions. Should I take out this loan? And well, there's some principles, but God gives us that freedom. I'll, I'll guide you. you. You do what you think is best. But should I commit adultery or not? No. Should I abandon the Bible or not? No. Should I do drugs? No. Should I become an alcoholic? No. Should I be possessed by anger? No. What gets you in trouble is not right and left decisions. It is right and wrong. Amen. And that's where God majors. What does my future hold? I don't know, nor do I care. I know what my duty is. And if I will follow that, then God will lead me. Whenever I get into hard times, I have to ask the question, am I seeking to trust him and follow him? Then I will do that and I'll let him work out my, my plan. I don't have to try to figure out and hear some voice Dye your hair. <laughs> yes, God. I don't have to worry about that. My concern is the moral will of God. What is holy, not what is blonde. Okay? And so, you will discern righteousness and justice and every good course. And the Lord was with Joseph in whatever he did. And the Lord was with David in whatever he did. And the hand of God was upon Ezra, for Ezra's hand was upon the law. You just follow the right thing. Um, in verse 10, then wisdom will enter your heart. It's like an Old Testament conversion. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. I want to follow the way of the creator to do marriage like he ordained it and raise kids like he ordained it, to treat my neighbor like God made them in the image of God. That's why you don't practice abortion. It runs counter to the creation of God. Am I right? Yes. And the culture that does that dies. Very simple. You marry within your faith and outside your gender, okay? Because that's the way God ordained it. He ain't running for God. There's not a God election out there. He is God and he has to be followed. And so there's a way that you live your life that's in accordance with the original plan and knowledge will be pleasant to you. And discretion will guard you and it will watch over you. You remember the Fantastic Four? 
great book of the Old Testament. You had the thing, Mr. Fantastic. You had Johnny Storm, the human torch, and then his sister. Wasn't it Susie? Help me out. Okay. <laughs> Lois and Clark. All right. No, and she's got this invisible shield. She can become invisible and she can do force fields. And whenever things would get tough and you couldn't outrun them, she was the one that was stepping in and she would put up a force field that everything that shouldn't be there wouldn't be there. And that's, that's always what I think of. It will watch over you and deliver you from the way of evil. If I will trust God, that his grace is over me. If I walk with him, I'll give you a good illustration. Are you familiar with that text? All ye who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and I am humbled in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What that's talking about, I used to always think it was take my yoke upon you, that he was the one driving like this and you take on the yoke. Now, I found out that I had it wrong. Whenever you have oxen or donkeys or whatever's gonna pull your plow, you never ever plow with two different animals. They have a different gait. It'll get you off the track. And so when you take an ox, you don't take two young oxen. You don't take two teenagers and put them together because they don't know how to walk with each other. They're too young. You have an old ox and then you have a young ox that gets in the yoke and the young one walks with him and takes him. And after a while, they just become a team. One of the guys, well, question, who's the old ox? Jesus. He knows how to go. You just get next to me and I'll talk to you and I'll walk you where you need to go. One of the guys in the congregation, uh, Paul Dean was a veterinarian and he talked about when he was young, he bought a, a, uh, uh, a wagon and these two, Jack and a Jenny. What's that? Is that a, is that a donkey? Is that a mule? What's that? Jack and a Jenny. You city dwellers. What is it, Bo or Al? Mule? Let's call it a mule, okay? And he got him and he put him in the harness and said, go. And they went different directions. And the buggy didn't go anywhere. And he called the guy that sold it to him. He said, I got two radical mules right here. He said, which did you put him? He put, I put the jack on one side and the jenny on the other. That's your problem. It's supposed to be the Jenny on one side and the Jack on the other. He said, they've grown up together. They listen to each other. He said, you had them reversed. He said, he put them in order. The buggy took off. When's the last time you heard that illustration? Never in your life. I'm incredible. You know? <laughs> and so you just get with Jesus in his word, time with him, where hopefully there should not be any portion of your Bible that somebody could not read and you could approximately know what book that that is in. 
Because the Bible, you don't gain it in a teaching. It has to percolate through you continually. God's rigged it. That that's the, you can't put on a tape while you're sleeping. That's not the coin of the realm. The coin of the realm is diligence. It's not brilliance. It's diligence. Continually letting it run through you. And so it will deliver you in verse 12. Make a note. From the way of evil and from, what's the next two words? The man. Down in verse 16. He will deliver you from the, what's the next three words? Strange woman. Men you shouldn't be around and women you shouldn't be around. Do you ever have to sit down with your kid and say, this guy is going to get you in trouble? When a guy comes, is your daughter dating yet, Steve? Really? Is he here? Okay. If he comes up with a death sucker tattoo on his face, you probably want to turn him away. There's a certain kind of man that'll get you in trouble and a certain kind of woman that'll get you in trouble. It's called life. And God will deliver you from them. Uh, the man who, first, he speaks perversity. That's when he recruits you. And he's talking. And then he leaves the path of uprightness. He heads off brazenly. And then he walks in the ways of darkness. God is not there. And then when he does evil in verse 14, what's the verse? Uh, what's the verb? He does what? He delights in evil. You ever just watch TV sometimes and go, Gad Sooks, I'm on a foreign planet. And then when he does evil, he rejoices in it. Back in the 60s, the guys that wandered off, they were on the inside track. They were hip. They were hippies. And then in the 70s, the guys that wandered off, it wasn't sin. They were gay. And then in our day, the guys that wander off, they're not asleep in the light. They're woke. In the 40s, they were just not under the heat of judgment. They were cool. Ain't that something? That's always how we regard evil, is that somehow it's hip. The book of Romans says they not only do the same things, but they give hearty approval to those who do them. They will applaud evil. That's good. And then they will condescend upon righteousness. Now in Canada, if you speak a word in favor of God against transgender, it's $500 or it's jail. And that's right across our border. And so their paths are crooked. They're devious. So this will keep you from the criminal, the violent, the schemer, the Ponzi scheme, the pusher, the adulterer, the con man, the thief, the gang member. If you will just follow after God, he'll lead you. I think I told you about a dear girl that was a Denton Bible long ago, had a son, named him after, who wrote the book on prayer? Andrew Murray, named him Andy. And he got educated beyond his intelligence. Thought he was smarter than his mama. 
started hanging out with some guys that were perverse, errant, darkened, and evil. She said, son, you can outrun me. You can beat me up. All I've got is authority over you. God made me over 30. I'm telling you, they're going to get you in trouble. And he laughed at her and walked out the door with them. They went out doing what they were going to do, ran out of money. He said, I know a guy over here in a, some double wide, some old man who takes money and keeps it in a coffee can. We can go get it from him and talk him out of it. He ain't that, he ain't all here. They went over and that guy was tougher than they thought he was. He said, get out of my home. And he started pushing him and then he got mad and started swinging on him. And this 17 year old and his pal pulls a knife and sticks him, hits his liver. And that old man died. What do you think his two buddies did? They flipped. And he turned 18 doing life up in Idaho. He got out last year. So subtract like 70. Oh, I guess he went in in the late 80s. So what's that? 20 some odd years. 22 years, finally got out. And now he can start all over in his mid-40s. And so this will keep you from something that you haven't experienced and you don't want to. Y'all ever watch that great Christian book on TV, Pinocchio? Pinocchio's wooden. He wants to become real. The blue fairy says, you got to earn that. Do deeds worthy of humanity. You've got to be loving. Anybody remember what Pinocchio's daddy was saying? I always wondered about this. Geppetto, which is Italian for Japheth, the father of the Gentiles. Don't ask me, but anyway, Pinocchio is trying to find the right way and he gets hooked up with a marionette guy that uses him. He keeps falling because he's got conscience. Remember what his conscience is? It keeps chirping at him. Jiminy Cricket. But he don't like that conscience, so he puts him under a hat and he always gets himself in trouble when he shuts down the truth. Until finally he comes up to a bunch of kids that they're going to go to Pleasure Island where there's no adults. And you can, I mean, it's like Woodstock. Man, you can do anything you want. You can smoke cigars, play pool. Everything is sweets. It's Pleasure Island. And they're recruiting all the kids. And stupid Pinocchio, who ain't got his cricket, he follows after Butch, the bad kid. Are you with me, Debbie? All right. This is like your life story. <laughs> he follows after Butch. And they start just raising all kind of whatever you raised in Italy. And Butch is talking to him. And he said, man, this is some real fun. This is the hill. And then he starts growing ears. And what happens is they lure you into this. You set aside all truth. You become animalistic and you turn into what you are you become an animal. Then they hook you up to the carriage and they work you in the salt mines, Pinocchio. And he repents, goes back to his cricket. All right, uh, don't worry about it. That's what happens 
whenever you put aside the word of God and you follow after the world, you end up an animal. Well, he will also deliver you in verse 16, not just from bad men, but from the strange woman. You know why it calls it strange? Because she's off limits, as says the creator. She cheats on her husband. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, she's homosexual. You're not supposed to do that. That's why there's not one mentioned in the Bible that lives. Don't email me. That's a fact. If homosexuality is okay, somebody better teach God how to communicate. And he better teach him how to create. Whenever two homosexuals can have a kid, I'm sold on it, okay? If they can produce it themselves. Uh, this is the woman that is outside. It's not sleeping around with some girl that's not your wife. It's living with a girl that you have not made a commitment to. Uh, it's a strange woman because there's right and there's wrong. God made them male. God made them female. What God joins, you don't put asunder. That's nice and clear. Well, you've got the strange woman and she's an adulteress. She cheats. She flatters. She's seductive. She leaves the companion of her youth. She violates her mate. She forgets the covenant of her God. She forgets her wedding day. And her house in verse 18 sinks down. They lead to death. None who go return. They don't reach the paths of life. You will become addicted to perversion. And it will be a quicksand that will take you down. And verse 20, if you'll follow what I tell you to. Incidentally, who was the fellow in the Bible who said, I see this woman among the Philistines. Get her for me, for she looks good. Don't we have a woman among our own people? Yeah, yeah. Get her for me. She looks good. Who said that? Samson. He didn't do real well. He died. Because he went for a Philistine, then he went for a hooker, then he went for Delilah. And he ended up dead. Uh, Amnon. He says to his cousin, Shammai said, I am so distressed. I'm in love with my half-sister. And it's hard for me to do anything to her. I want, what was the girl's name? Tamar. His buddy says, here's what you do. Act like you're sick. Tell her to come into your bedroom. Shut the door. Overpower her. Take her. She's yours. Really? Yep, it'll work. And he did it. He was so in love, he made himself sick, unquote. And once he rapes her, he throws her out. And he says to the help, lock this door behind this woman. He won't even say her name because every time he looks at her now, he sees a death sentence. It's going to come from his daddy. Whatever happened to Amnon? He got murdered. He's dead. Then you got Hamor, which in Hebrew means the ass. Never name your kid Hamor. All right. And Hamor sees Diana, the Jew, and loves her. And so he rapes her because that's the way Canaanites do. 
which is why in 430 years, they're going to get wiped off the earth. And so he rapes her. And her brothers, Simeon and Levi, find out. And they kill him and his daddy and every man in the city. And they destroyed the city and took the people plunder. So he's dead. Are you with me so far? Joseph, his master's wife, says, lie with me. And he says, how can I do this great sin against God? Well, Joseph, we don't believe in God. We believe in Ra, the son. I don't care. I'm not walking. Well, we're rich and you are a slave. I don't care. I've got my orders. No. Gets lied about and thrown in jail. And God is with him. What was Potiphar's wife's name? We don't ever find out. Joseph did quite well. And so always the track record is problems when you wander. Verse 20, you will walk in the way of good men. Keep to the paths of the righteous. You know, when I was young in grade school, they would always make us get a a book at the library every week. And I got hooked as a kid reading these little aqua marine covered books that were biographies of great men and women. I read about Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Patrick Henry, uh, Sam Houston, Jim Bowie, Zachary Taylor. Anybody read a biography on Zachary Taylor? I read one when I was 10. Uh, I remember I pleaded with my mother for some buckskins. I really, just called Zachary Taylor War. I read about Thomas Edison. I read about Molly Pitcher. I read about Abigail Adams. I read about Madame Curie. And I read them continually. And you know what? God was so providential in that because I read the Jim Thorpe story 12 times. I read the Newt Rockney story seven times because they were about guys on the bottom that went to the top and they did it with nobody's help, but just virtue. And I read those and I was awash with the right way. And that, that was a providential thing of God. And that's what happens when you read the Bible. It's littered with individuals and they all end up here or they all end up like Absalom hung. If you'll just read it. Well, he says, the upright, when it's all said and done, they will live in the land. The blameless will remain. They're going to have stability. The wicked are going to be cut off. They'll be uprooted, and you will never know that they ever lived before. And so I'll challenge you to do something, uh, is to make a concerted commitment of your life to learn your Bible. That there should be no time that you can look at any text that you don't know it's there. It won't come except through time. You can't learn it quickly. You can't go read simply a book on it. you got to spend time and let it percolate. Uh, yeah, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You'll meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have success. It's done. Follow my word. If you don't have a good Bible, go get yourself a Zondervan Study Bible in the New American Standard. You can call Amazon, okay, and they will ship it to you, okay? 
but get you the Zondervan. The Zondervan Study Bible is about that much text and that much notes from about 60 guys that are the top scholars in their field. You can't learn what that Bible will learn in a, in a lifetime. As a matter of fact, it's worth four years of seminary if all you did was read that Bible. Or go get you a Thomas Nelson Study Bible, no relation to me, but from Thomas Nelson uh, Publishers. Get you a New American. Go get you a MacArthur Study Bible, New King James. You can't, the, I read a different Bible every year, or get you a Ryrie, just old good Charles Ryrie. And every year I will read one, and it usually, if you got a, this is a Zondervan, and the cover comes off of it after a while. But see all my notes? That's me and the Lord get together every morning and study for all the things Teresa needs to change. Okay. <laughs> and so, and I go through a different Bible every year. I get me a brand new one, give it away to a nephew, and get a new one and read it. Now, what does the future hold for me? I don't know, don't care, but I know what my duty is. And God can surprise me. And so just spend time in your Bible. Then I'll tell you what else to do. We're a little bit late, but the cowboys are out of it. There's no need. There's no life anymore. <laughs> Go on Amazon and get you a history book by a guy named Bruce Shelley. Died about three or four years ago. Great. Not everybody, a lot of guys can teach history. Not everybody can write on it. He could write on it. I've read him six times. And every time I get new stuff, History is the plumb line of theology. You never fool Mother Nature. You never fool Father History. And it'll show you up. Read that book. He'll go from one area to the next, and each chapter has Velcro, and it'll connect you to the next one. Great read. Uh, go get you a book by, I believe his name is E.H. Gombich. G-O-M-B-A-C-H, I believe it is. E.H. Gombich. He wrote to his children about the history of the world in 1935. He's a German. And the book is about this thick, and it's on the entire history of man from Egypt to the atom bomb. And it is, the chapters are like four pages apiece. It's my kind of book, okay. And he will move you along, and in every page, all that he's saying, you will not know but you will get your hand on history, on church history, and the Bible. Commit yourself to that, and you will become wise and civilized, and life will be a joy. What we need is a hymn. There is a hymn written by a guy named William Cooper. He was at a church called the Church of Sea and Land on New York Harbor. He wrote it in the mid-1800s. Most of his congregation were sailors. And so he wrote a hymn. You got that there, little Nate? It's called Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. Stewards, do y'all know this hymn? Y'all know every hymn. Okay. How many of you know Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me? Okay. No Baptist? Okay. Well, you'll, you'll learn it. It's real catchy. And listen to the words. You ever feel like sometimes your life is on the high seas? Well, this hymn is about that. It goes like this. Stewards. Hmm. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. 
Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Nate, let's do the first verse again. All together. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Over life's tempestuous sea, unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal, chart and compass come from thee. Jesus, Savior, pilot me as a mother stills her child. You can hush the ocean's wild. Boisterous waves obey thy will. When you say to them be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And some way they will need this last verse. When at last... I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar. Grant me long and peaceful rest. Then while leaning on your chest, may I hear you say to me, fear not, I will pilot thee. Wish I'd have wrote that. Father in heaven, I thank of my brother Galen right now, our elder, with a couple of nine centimeter tumors eating away his spinal, his vertebrae, encased around nerves that chemo and painkillers don't reach. And he was living his life, enjoying it, and out of nowhere, there came a tempest. I pray for Paige, his wife, as they are looking at two or three long surgeries, saying to them that complications are 100%. And so we pray for him. As we do for a multitude of others sitting before me that are facing something or have faced something physical, domestic, governmental, financial, personal, who knows that we're not there yet, but we're on the way. O cloud by day and O fire by night. O rock that follows us. We pray as we now begin to discover God to find out who he is, not simply through intellectually what is right, but following it and watching you lead us, walking beside us as we discover the knowledge of God. He who keeps my word, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.